0: And it's almost summer, so I think I'm going to have to figure out like what I want to do about my iced coffee situation. But in the morning, I always like to do hot. I was first introduced to Manchester Orchestra by a roommate in my first year living in New York City. So that means I've been a fan since way back, since 2006, around their first album, and was very excited to learn that Andy, the band's leader, singer, songwriter, was interested in chatting with me over coffee. Welcome back to My Caffeine Withdrawal. When I checked in with Andy of Manchester Orchestra over Zoom a few weeks ago, he was just in the midst of releasing their newest album, The Million Masks of God. In today's episode, Andy and I talked a lot about songwriting, and we also chatted about the differences between being the artist and working for your own artist project as opposed to using your skills to serve someone else's project. You know, I found Andy really easy to talk to and he had a sort of peacefulness and ease about him that I really enjoyed. I was excited in the conversation to learn more about how he's navigated so many years in the music business, so many albums, while also balancing family life with this musician touring life. He seemed to be doing such a great job of it by the way. I found it really inspiring for myself and for my own life and my own future. I was also very excited to ask him about a collaboration he did a while back with one of my very favorite bands, Frightened Rabbit. But of course, first I had to ask Andy about his coffee. Oh my gosh, it smells so good. I definitely need it today. Did you make any coffee today?
1: I did. I did. I, and I'm I'm a little risky. Are you on West Coast right now?
0: Yes, I'm West Coast.
1: So see, I'm so this is this might be dangerous. Okay. This is a one thirty
0: <sighs> <Okay>.
1: espresso. <laughs> my coffee lineage is interesting. So I don't actually need it to like function every day. Okay. So like my wife like has to have coffee. I really like it when I'm busy and I have stuff that I have to do. It definitely helps me focus. But we were like, I'm afraid to say, like a Keurig family for way too long. Wow. Really. It's disgraceful to even say on this podcast. Well, no, I
0: mean. no, it's not. Dis- I mean, it's mm-hmm, convenient. It it's-, <laughs> know, it's
1: bath water. It's bath water. It's really bad. <laughs>
0: it's just when you've had really good coffee, you're like, oh, why was I, you know.
1: So that's sort of why I wasn't drinking a ton of coffee because we had the Keurig and I like tried the pour over and I just don't have like the time in my brain to do it so we pulled the trigger and got like a Breville espresso real big boy you know yeah (laughs) espresso maker and it's changed my life and it's like three minutes a day fresh ground coffee I do four shots of espresso do like an americano so it has the hot water on the side it's incredible
0: I mean that sounds amazing I'm kind of jealous I've seen those Breville espresso machines and I have a couple friends who have them and I've always been like I like doing the pour over
1: the pour over is meditative, right? Yeah. Do you like, you like the swirl of it and like the...
0: I mean, I've gone through a journey of like, I used to only drink Americanos. Like what you're describing sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, I haven't had an Americano in a while. Do you guys get your beans from a specific place?
1: I do. I just started when we got this machine. Mine's like a nice coffee, really nice. But then you know, there's the people who have like the next level. It's like a robot living in their yeah. fridge. Oh, I see. You know, those. incredible. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not there. Um, <laughs> but he had these insane beans, this place called Cafe Lusso from Washington, and they sell five pound bags of espresso beans. So that's super helpful. they will like last, you know, a month or so. Yeah.
0: Cafe Lusso. And you're calling from Atlanta?
1: Yeah, north of Atlanta and like Alpharetta, Johns Creek area.
0: Okay. You know, I'm somewhat familiar with Atlanta because I like basically lived there during Walking Dead. Of course.
1: We had a photo shoot in 2011 in a place where y'all shot all the time and we like snuck into just one of the, you know, I'm sure the amount of places y'all used to film to before Atlanta. I mean, that was a pretty groundbreaking show for Atlanta still is. But yeah, we would take photo shoots in all the places where we're like, dude, there are zombies right here <laughs> last week.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Where did
1: you live when you were there?
0: Well, I lived like Peachtree City mostly. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like the first year, I, I basically lived in like the Wyndham in Peachtree City. <laughs> and it was my ah, home. got you. And then I got an apartment that was sort of in between. I mean, it was still Peachtree City, but it was sort of like in the country. It was cool. It's so beautiful.
1: Would y'all work year round or were you here summers? Or
0: um, We were here, let's see, it was always like spring. So through summer, it'd be really hot. And then we'd be leaving before Thanksgiving, at least when I was on it. That was kind of.
1: Wow. That's brutal.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was so hot. And then, um, <laughs> but brutal. I love fall in Georgia. It's like, cause it lasts so long.
1: It does. Yes. It's perfect.
0: Yeah. So I, I had such a nice time there. Did you grow up in Atlanta then? So
1: I did like seven years in Atlanta and then seven years in Toronto because my dad was a pastor and so moved us to a church in Canada. Grew up in Canada seven to 14. Okay. And then right when I started high school, I moved back here.
0: Okay, cool. So I'm curious now, what was your first kind of like exposure to music? Like were your parents big into music?
1: So yeah, I'm curious about this. I think about it a lot. When I grew up, my parents definitely like evolved and loosened up a lot as they, you know, went on. But they were both brought up in like really tight conservative Christian households. So secular music or anything that was like slightly dangerous Uh was banned. And we weren't allowed to listen to that. And so, of course, that like naturally made me want to listen to it more and, and find it more and hide it. Taking CDs from friends and, like, copying them on a cassette, you know, so I could have, like, you know, Wu-Tang or stuff like Foo Fighters even. My mom would now just, like, roll her eyes. She's such a big music fan. But just at the time, it was like... I was born in 86, so like the mid 90s and early 90s was just such an amazing time of like rock music and incredible stuff that was happening. And I think it was just very dangerous to like a pastor and pastor's wife, you know, yeah. like the the grunge movement and punk and, and stuff like that. So I loved it. And I just was obsessed with finding out more of it. And my grandparents were in like a gospel trio that released tons of records. So I think the musicality came from there that I like sort of clicked in my brain. I understood melodies and harmonies pretty early. The songwriting thing started to take shape like 13 or 14.
0: Mm.
1: When did you start writing songs?
0: I mean, when I look back, I used to write little poems and I remember writing songs in high school, but I really didn't see myself as a songwriter. I think my mom will remind me, You sang me this song you wrote. And I was like, Oh, yeah, but I didn't. I more thought of myself as like a singer or something. And then I got really into acting, but it wasn't until I moved to New York City. I was writing songs, but I was just such a fan. I would go and be friends with like the bands that I saw out in Brooklyn and I would end up singing like backup for them and that kind of thing. It was a good friend of mine that was like, you should do this. You're a songwriter.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and
0: he helped me make my first little like EP. And then after that, I was hooked, you know, it felt so good.
1: Yeah, it's an unbelievable feeling, right? It's like the greatest thing ever. Yeah,
0: when you think of something and it feels like it captured. I don't, you know what I mean. Because Yeah.
1: And you also need that trusted friend. Like I still to this day have, you know, two or three people that before anybody hears anything, it's like, is this any, it's interesting, right? You know, and some of them aren't even musicians. It's just like, I just need somebody to go like, yeah. Or like, I don't really know what it is, but good luck with it.
0: Yeah, no, that's so interesting. I definitely also have very specific people who it's like, I feel safe for me to send you this voice memo of like, I don't.
1: Yeah. It's so vulnerable sharing an initial thought, you know, of something. And yeah, even if it's a great take and you feel good about, I don't know how you like demo. I just do voice memos generally on my phone. That's the first step. Yeah. Um, and yeah, those are the ones that you got to, you have to really like trust somebody to send those over. <laughs>
0: yeah. Can I ask you like who are some of the people you trust? Is it like family? Sure. Or, yeah. My
1: mom is one of them. We'll still send her really early, especially if I really like it and like the storytelling side of it. I know that she'll, she's a words person. I think I kind of get my love of like words and throwing them all together from her. One of my best friends of like 20-something years, Daniel, is one of them. And then Robert, my bandmate, is the other one that I, my brother-in-law also, slash, you know, partner in the band. I'll send him stuff that he knows it doesn't even matter about Manchester. It's more just like, here's something I came up with, you know? Yeah. What do you think about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and lyrics in general are impossible for me to explain. I really hate sort of explaining what everything means because I've heard people explain what they think my songs are about and they're way cooler than what I initially (laughs) thought that they were about. (laughs) So we'll just like keep it there. I don't want any like, you know, curtain uh, lifted on that stuff. But especially like I've had to do that at times though early on when I would write songs that were like. You know, maybe a vicious love song that's, uh, you know, about betrayal and hurt, but it's about two characters I've created and then, you know, playing it for my wife and being like, I I just want, I can't overstate enough that this is not about (laughs) you. This is not, this is not coming from, you know, (laughs) some awful place, but it's cool to, I don't know. Switch characters Yeah
0: Is your wife Like a creative person too?
1: In her own way Absolutely She does like Tons of like Designs And runs a Monogramming business And super awesomely independent, smart lady. Not like deep movies, you know, like go deep into lyrics. She'll talk with me about it, but I know I'm like, I'm just absolutely killing you, aren't I? Just going into, you know. And when I say this, it's a triple meaning, you know, because it's referencing this character and this thing. She's like, great, babe. It's great. (laughs) I feel like it's good that way because I can be so obsessive about the work and it's nice to have somebody that it's like, she loves my music. And I know that that's true. So it doesn't have to be like a deep Pandora level uh, connection.
0: Yeah. And maybe there's something too just about a little bit of Balance, Like, you know, if you are deep in this creative zone and then you can come out, though, and just, like, have a great night, dinner, whatever. You know what I mean? And, like, be kind of more in the real world because you know how, like, sometimes if you're in this creative zone, it can kind of take you away from, like, what is really right in front of you a little bit, you know? No
1: doubt. I mean, that's really been one of the more difficult parts, I think, of... COVID on the artistic side is like we would travel or like go somewhere for a few days to be super creative and I have two little kids I have a six-year-old girl Maisie and a three-year-old boy River I love to separate those things and like we have a studio down the road and I go there like an office and we'll work really hard for you know six eight hours and then I'm home and it's great and you have to be selfish in your work really at a certain point and it's really hard to not be guilty for being selfish with your work when you have a family. Yeah. So it's a total balance where I love, like, let's get really intense about something and then let's shut that right off. Because if Amy's not that worried about it, I know the kids really don't care what's just happened at the studio.
0: They, are like, want to hang with their dad and, like, they're maybe not. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. I didn't know anything about, like, your personal life or anything like that and like i'm really admiring what it seems like you've built for yourself the ability to like go kind of like work at a certain time and then have like that balance with family with the rest of your band is it always the same or have you guys had some different
1: we've had a ton of different just moved since we started so early, just a natural occurrence of guys looking up and going like, I'm 22 and I don't think I want to do this. You can never be mad at somebody. It's like, of course not.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's such a specific (laughs) lifestyle and, you know, yeah.
1: Yeah. So we were fortunate that it's always been, you know, amicable and understanding with people leaving and just other pursuits. But Robert and I found each other really young. He was like 13 and I was 16 and I gave him a ride home one day from high school And he had a studio in his basement. And we like still weirdly do the exact same thing (laughs) now, just in nicer studios and better songs that we did back then. And so um, having him as like a ride or die the whole time has been amazing. And we've been really blessed because the two guys who came in and filled like the bass and the drum section elevated our band, the musicality. And now we've been a unit almost like eight years with this group. So it feels really good.
0: When it comes to, Crew, touring managers, these kinds of things, just because you said how important it is, the people around you, like, is there certain things that you look for when you're, like, hiring on new people?
1: Yeah, of course. We have had the same group of people forever. And there's tons of them. They're interchangeable at times, you know. But, like, we know, like, the three best spirited, working, genuinely good people, men and women, who are amazing at these positions. So... We've just yeah you meet the good ones and the good ones always this is an incredible thing about crew like you can start as the merch person for a pop punk band for 300 bucks a week and if you are a good dude or lady and are able to just like be a people person and, and work hard, I've seen these people, like, end up being the tour manager for, like, Halsey and shit. It's crazy. Like, there's really, there's there's no ceiling to the crew side of that thing. It is a very difficult job. But my point being, you meet really great people along the way, and then they continue to just evolve with you, and you can still, you know, have times together when you go on tour, and it feels familial and safe, and, you know, everybody's in your corner.
0: Yeah. How has it been the last year with COVID and, and no shows
1: me and Robert were having a discussion yesterday that we wish someone could have told us a year ago, like, you're going to get through this and, like, everything's going to be okay. There was such a feeling of uncertainty about everything for everyone. So it was like, we're getting ready to put this record out. The days are so busy. It's awesome. We're to impress all the time but there's no time to relax and it's funny cuz we've like had a whole year to relax but like i didn't ever relax during the last year like i should have you were like oh god what do we need to, to do relax. to like get <laughs> how do we do less how do i do nothing <laughs>
0: yeah let me make a million lists
1: I know. It's, it was bizarre. We were mixing the newest record, so that helped. We had all the time in the world to mix it, so we took a couple months to mix it, and it was chill. And Catherine Marks, our producer-mixer, was in London and had nothing booked, so it was like, man, let's just take as much time as we want to mix it. And usually that's a really stressful moments when you're putting all that stuff together and I hate it really it's so much work and then put into this thing that could make or break it and this was the first time it felt like it was chill she'd work on it for a couple hours a day and we'd talk back and forth she was in London while she was doing it the thing I didn't realize I was gonna miss about live shows and I didn't miss it for a while just because we've played a bunch of shows every year for 15 years was The feeling of uh, playing with your bandmates and with musicians and this like insane communal energy of like dedicating yourself to a performance without irony and like caring about this thing that is bigger than all of the people that are playing it and feels bigger than all of it. And when we finally did like a live stream-ish show, we went up and filmed a show of our last record top to bottom at this great studio that we actually made the record in. It was like looking around at all uh, these, you know, guys playing the song together, and feeling like, oh, like I—that's this thing that I didn't even know my body had run out of that thing, and that hurt. It was like a great feeling, and it hurt too. It's like, oh, right, I get—I missed that. That's a part of my DNA, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I totally get it. I did a little small like live stream at Hotel Cafe two weeks ago.
1: Were you really nervous?
0: I was nervous, but I was so happy. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: You've probably been doing these too where like you go on Instagram Live and do some in the living room and then you're like, okay, still here by myself. It was live streamed, but at least there was the band there and like the crew that was filming it. And even now I feel like I've been so happy (laughs) because other times I'd be like, was fighting this sort of like these lows and this depression. I'd be like, but I have no reason. Like everything's fine. Like I logic it out, but I think my body, my brain, I mean, you get a hit from these you yes, get you do. such a yes, feeling do. of connection um when you play music and seeing music for me like is such a like connection to something bigger than myself and i hadn't had that
1: you nailed it. That's exactly right. You forgot how good it tastes. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like,
0: like, oh, that cured that oh. cured my depression quickly.
1: Totally. Like
0: suddenly, I feel like I have like mean. There's meaning. The world's a beautiful place. You
1: know? Thousand percent. I felt the same way after I wrote my first song after a couple months of just being creatively confused. And you write it, and it's like everything's gonna be all right. You know,
0: yeah. It might be the saddest
1: song in the world, you know. <laughs> but it's you know that has nothing to do with COVID. But man, that brought me joy, you know.
0: Yeah, it's making sense of something, I guess. I feel like when you finish a record, though, too, there is so much work after, like if you're doing press. And that can sort of like put your brain in a different space, I was going to say, than writing.
1: What's it like when you're doing press for like a show or for a movie? How is that to talk about?
0: You know what? It's pretty much the same the only thing with that that's difficult is sometimes things will be just like way later like especially when it comes to like indie films like I did an independent film and it came out two years later and I went to like the Q&A live thing and I was like I can't remember like people, But people still do this with Walking Dead, too, where, like, you know, there's certain shows, you know, that people are always going to ask questions about, which is so great because that's their in and how they know me. But they maybe just watched, you know, whatever, that season or something. And, and they're like, when you gave that look to so-and-so, and I'm like, I don't quite remember, <laughs> but I'm going to try to, like. <laughs> so where, like, my music, it's a little easier to know I'm explaining it right. I mean, with a TV show again, you're hired to play the right. part, and you're part of a bigger picture. Yes. And so, you know, it's it's it is slightly different in that way. And a lot of times, you have like your co-stars or something too. So right, that
1: makes sense because you're a part of a large vision where it's a little bit more mainlined. Yeah, it's your vision. Which do you prefer?
0: I mean, I love both for different reasons, because it's quite nice to go in and do your part and do your job and get paid and go home and like maybe not feel quite such a like everything's riding on it, like the burden. Because like, you know, I mean, you're the writer. You're also the performer. You're the it is kind of nice to be like not the boss, but yet have your little thing that you can tweak and be really good at or try to be your really good and everybody's happy and then leave <laughs> and, then, and then go home
1: that's how I feel like scoring like commercials Ooh, it's like yeah. it's like oh that's totally like whatever your vision is I will just do the best of viability to what you want me to do. Yeah. I like that freedom. It's nice.
0: Yeah, you're not the final necessarily say, and like if the commercial totally. does well or not, like you did your part, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In and out. <laughs> Wait, so when did you get into that kind of thing, like scoring and... We did,
1: our first scoring film was the movie uh, Swiss Army Man with uh, Daniel Radcliffe and Paul Dano, and that score was entirely our voices. It was all acapella. So the directors asked us to use no real instruments. So me and Robert went in and like layered hundreds of these vocals. And then we ended up going into the studio with Daniel and Paul and then... Putting their voices in with ours, and it's it's kind of a musical that movie.
0: Oh my God! This sound like I'm gonna have to check that out. I love the concept of voices being all the instruments, or voices being like that. that I love well, that then vibe. then
1: you will really you will really like it. That's exactly what it is, and that really changed like the way we thought about music. Truly, like we. We worked on that score for 13 months because we had to work on it like six months before they filmed it because they sing a lot of it in the movie. So we had to like write the songs that the characters would sing in the movie and then afterwards do more of the traditional scoring to picture. Totally insane experience. Like finished it two days before it premiered at Sundance. Like flew from L.A. We were there finishing the whole thing with the directors. I doubt we will ever have an experience like that. We haven't since with scoring that was so immersive and like... Definitely moments where me and Robert were looking at each other going like, we shouldn't be allowed in here. (laughs) Do they know what we do? And it was amazing because they took away, the Daniels are the directors, they took away every tool we had other than our voice and melody. So we had to learn new ways of doing it. And that was a great feeling too of like... It's not as in and out and quick as as scoring something like that. But it did feel nice to not have to make the absolute final decision. And we'd work really hard on something we thought was gorgeous and was great. And the directors would go, we love that. But I don't think that's what works for the scene. And being able to go like, well, I've never had anyone like tell me no before. (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) Like truly serving, like using your talents to the best of your ability to truly, like, serve a bigger story. Like, I mean, Absolutely. I think there is something very satisfying about that. Both are good at different times, I guess, you know. Sometimes it's fun to be, like, the the captain of the ship and be like, no, nope, this is what I want.
1: Absolutely. And also, like, learning. I've learned from th- these experiences, too, of, like, being the captain of the ship also can mean, like, delegating really specific and awesome moments to other people. And it doesn't mean that, like, I have to do everything. It means, like, how do I help, like, run this ship? And that was cool watching directors and, and producers work in, in movies that way. Another great thing, too, I'm rambling about this, but that we learned was, like, screening screening a movie there were so many screenings and we would like watch small screenings just small friends you know just early on seeing how things would work and like the way they would watch people the directors would watch people during the screening and how they would take from it and we started thinking like man we should do that like with our records that aren't finished yet we should like take our friends even friends who aren't musical and just they like music but just play them this record at 80 percent done And see when they start trailing off, you know, looking around and they're sort of you're losing them. And I'm like, this is such a great tool that nobody really uses at this vulnerable stage of making records, you know, and then taking the data. which like we lost them at that point where we should try and figure out something that's like keeps your attention.
0: On like a release day or like when a single comes out, particularly if it's a song that's really close to you. What is your feeling of that day? Is it now just like, oh, whatever, next thing? Or like, do you, no, how do no, you feel? No, it's awful. If, okay. Take me through the day.
1: <laughs> I'll take you through the day before. Okay. The day there's before. Some really, there's some really upsetting stuff that happens the day before. Okay. <laughs> um, well, the day before, you know, there's like uh, body dysmorphia. I have like audio dysmorphia. There's something that happens where I like to reassure myself that the song is still the song that I legitimately loved every single day for the last two years we've been working on it I just pop it on to just double check to make sure that it's chill and when I pop it on it's like I've never heard it sound worse, be worse all wrong really
0: upsetting oh my god
1: it's really upsetting and it happens every time and I will text like Robert and our manager and go like tell me I'm nuts. I know that I'm nuts. I... I had that happen with our entire last album after we finished it. I couldn't listen to it for like a while after it was released. Couldn't even enjoy like what we had made because I was just so close to it and all pent up about it. So I really kind of worry. There's a a period of worry. But then I have to, like you were talking about earlier, like you can logic yourself out of things. I can logically go like, no, dude, you are extremely thoughtful about this music. Like you can't listen to it right now because it sounds like shit to you right now. But you love this song and you've loved it and it's going to be fine and people are going to dig it. And if they don't, it's fine. You know, just the whole checklist. <laughs> it's not for them. But then it actually is. Um, and then when it comes out and like one person says one nice thing about it, then I'm like, yeah, it does sound really great. And it's literally like it snaps in my ears all of a sudden start to hear it correctly. I'm, I'm proud of it again. But it's a total moment of, of kind of panic and fear. And oh, God, have I made a mistake? Uh, just insecurity, you know. I think because... I care so much that's a good thing it's like I'm not trying to beat myself up about it um, it's just like oh god here it comes
0: I'm so happy you described that I do feel like that's happened to me before for sure where like a song's been totally fine and then I listen to it for whatever reason I'm like okay let me listen to that on like Apple Music or something I'm like this is ridiculous Like,
1: and it's been like you're insane it it's totally like, great I
0: think it sounds fine over here sounds <laughs> <That's> me. <amazing. laughs>
1: Oh, that's funny. I think it's the
0: same one that we, you know.
1: <laughs> the exact same one we've listened to a million times. Yeah. So I have a cameo in that movie, Swiss Army Man, where I have a couple lines at the end of it. Okay. And at Sundance I forgot I was in this movie and I'm literally like ten minutes I'm in the last ten minutes of this movie. I play a cameraman. I of all the times I've ever gone on stage, ever, you know, had a nervous moment before even playing like David Letterman or late night shows. The most nervous and my heart was pounding. Was when I remembered I was in the movie and then knew I was about to be like on screen and watch something. And it's still that way if I like will watch it on Netflix or which I don't, but I've done one time, but still felt like, oh, God.
0: Like here it comes. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Oh,
1: God. Why am I on screen? (laughs) Do you feel that way or is it feel like a natural thing to see yourself?
0: Yeah, I don't love watching it. I love making it. I love acting. I love when other people watch me and tell me what they saw. And then I go, that's uh-huh. exactly what, that great, that you felt that way about the character. Especially when I watch it with um, people I'm close to. Like, oh, that's not me, but then it's me, but it's not me.
1: Uh-huh. Totally.
0: It happens. I like to watch it once to see like what the arc was, if there's something I can like learn from it. Uh-huh. But...
1: Yeah, I guess that would be different than, like, listening to your own music, you know, especially when you're making your own music. I, like, listen to what we're doing all the time. Yeah, yeah,
0: Yeah, and there's so much also out of your control. Like, I started to find myself, like, oh, they cut away from my – like, there's so much you can't control. So there's a little bit of acting for me or a lot that's – I, like, do my best and I really try to then – move forward mm-hmm. which yeah, I, I, I mean, imagine
1: you'd have to yeah yeah
0: which I'm saying that but like I'm I'm telling myself that non-stop like like you did your part move on to the rest of your day now
1: <laughs> like, mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> I definitely felt like that feeling watching just myself on a screen it was like who is that yeah I don't know who that person is
0: what about in the future do you imagine doing more movie things like this
1: I would love to. We ended up scoring another movie two years ago, a year ago, called The Death of Dick Long, which was great, premiered at Sundance and was really fun. Way more uh, like a typical score where we're not, you know, we could use instruments in that sense. We loved it. And it's seeping into everything we do now, this like connectivity of making records and like our newest record and really our last one, too. They're supposed to be experienced as like a song. It's one song. It's a forty-five minute long movement. It should feel like a movie. It should feel connected and and folding in on each other and you know it, it, and have that arc to it. And so we got into exploring that and like we love sequencing so much, but thinking about how to sequence things different. And in this particular, this new record, it's sort of sequenced like like the human life. It starts chaotic and energetic and anger anxiety all those things you know that can sort of bubble up in those moments and then as it's moving on throughout the life of this character it's, it's it's starting to calm and you're starting to get it it doesn't mean there aren't moments of heightened volumes of intensity throughout life but it was really fun to think about how a record would flow like that and it's maybe not the typical way to do it but what is the most like really enjoyable interesting experience of like pressing play and just hearing it.
0: Yeah. No, I loved I I listened to the record last night and I felt that vibe of like a cinematic like throughline story thing happening. Awesome. What do you do to take care of your voice or is it something you think about or you just leave it alone because it always works for you?
1: I should do more probably. You know, it took me a long time to actually like my voice, like even those first Manchester records, really probably up until like our 4th record was the first time I was okay with like using my voice as the main instrument in a song even though it's the melody and the vocal yeah I would tend to be uncomfortable with that and truly making that film score where it was just like you don't have an option the entire score is my voice (laughs) yeah um you better learn to like use it and enjoy it so I do I think it's repetition learning and then you know in the studio it's like I love the layering and capturing things that just feel grand. I think just there was something I learned really early on about where certain notes should land and harmonies, and it's something that, thank God, just came to me. So I don't have to think about them too much. I can hear them, and then I can sing them. But I'm still like a nightmare, like most people with singing vocals in the studio. It's so... You got to really get into a spot where you can do it and feel comfortable and I'm better and better and better at it. A big trick I have is I barely listen to the music when I'm singing at all. So I'll have like one headphone off and then literally it's turned as quiet as it can be in my headphones because I can find I can stay on a pitch and a note and a performance if I can actually hear my voice the most naturally in the room as opposed to hearing it in headphones with like effects. Now live, I love to have cool roomy effects to help inspire that thing. But anytime I've tried to kind of get vibey with it in the studio, it's like a great sentiment. But it's not, I don't know, I can't I can't be as real with it Yeah. in a weird way.
0: Is there a song on the record you're like most excited for people to hear?
1: I'm excited for people to hear the beginning of the record. I do think like when people hear that song and then the, just how it transforms into the rest of it. Yeah. I do think that will be a pretty fun moment because I don't think people will expect it to start quite like that.
0: Yeah. Well, I think this is my last question for you. Dang, this flew. But it has been so, so nice to talk to you. One of my all-time favorite bands is Frightened Rabbit. And oh, gosh. So just rem- I mean, I had to mention I love Architect and... I love that song. Oh, and thank you. Yeah, maybe quickly, like, how did that come about? And
1: Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, gosh, one of the greatest bands of all time, in my opinion. I think, I was just talking to, there's a great publication in the in UK, in Glasgow, called Goldflake Paint, and the guy who runs that operation was one of Scott's best friends, and I just had a, um, a Zoom with them for a thing about Manchester, and we were talking about, I've actually been... In the middle of uh, another resurgence, of that's where I'm, that's mostly what I'm listening to. When I'm listening to like rock music, is 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 Scott and Frightened Rabbit. So, he sent me a text message. They were a cool band from Scotland. We were a band from Atlanta, and I had no idea why he would even know who we were. I, we had gone to England several times, and I guess there was some talk about us over there. But he just found my number from a mutual friend early, like 2008 or nine. And he really liked a solo project that I have called "Rideaway right Great Captain." That's like all folk music, um, and he really attached himself to that. And, it's, and no one really knows or knew about that. So I knew he knew my music, and ended up being like one of the most thoughtful, funny, coolest guys. We just we hit it off. We were we were immediately friends, and would communicate a lot and shared a lot of song ideas back and forth with each other, and. Uh, Yeah, I mean that was we had a lot of plans to make more music together, and had you know songs that we were sending back and forth with each other. And the last time we talked about it, he wanted to utilize the Alexas in our home to just send songs without warning. So like (laughs) I would be like making eggs, and be like, "You have a new voice (laughs) from (laughs) Scott." Just like quite a treat to get really in the middle of the day. Just a guy that like we were on the same path and on the same you know trying to kind of go through the same experiences with music and what can you say about his records they're like incredible to listen to always and I find that I get almost angrier there won't be more I think he had hit a position that they were about to start making not that they hadn't already but they were really like dipping into a fusion of genres with electronics and uh, the style production and songs that he was writing on that last album that was like I think the best thing that he'd ever done and yeah what do you it's like it's impossible to to to, to say what it you know is it's just so sad and thank god we have those records to listen to yeah
0: no I felt similar um when he passed away I thought selfishly I was like but I need more <laughs> like yeah totally I mean, obviously, I didn't know him personally like you, but I love... That's my favorite, when you feel like you know someone through their work. Absolutely. But I'm so happy to be with you here today. Seriously. Yeah, it's, it's been lovely. great to get to know you. Um, And... Or at least a little bit.
1: Well, next time that we're playing somewhere near yes, you, you come I'm out. I'm sure you'll we'll...
0: play in L.A. at some point, or I'll be, in, you know... Surely, um, you would think. I've got you <laughs> fun. There's just so many places here where people play music, so... You know, so. It's a good city for music, I guess.
1: Yeah, I would think so.
0: But yeah, okay. So if you could have coffee with like one of your favorite bands or favorite writers or something, like who would you have coffee with?
1: What a good question. (laughs) I'll say the first name that popped to my head was is James Taylor. I think I would like to have a coffee with James Taylor. Okay. I just feel like the songwriting is so great, the playing is so great, and then the stories must be so incredible. That's the fact that the guy was like founded by the Beatles, spent so much time making his records at Abbey Road around all those guys. Yeah, I just that would be my guy. I would like to ask him. I would I would like to be the annoying 19-year-old I was asking people questions to James Taylor. That's yeah. what I would like to do.
0: Oh, that sounds awesome. I think that's a great <laughs> right? pick. That's a great pick. <laughs> okay awesome well thank you
1: thank you very much this has been lovely
0: yeah and um, good luck with the album I'm sure it will do great and
1: thank you I appreciate you having me on
0: I hope you guys enjoyed getting to know Andy. I linked a few things we talked about today, including that movie he worked on, as well as their new album in the show notes below. This album is so good. The first single, Bedhead, is so great, but also the opening track in Audible is one of my very favorite tracks on the record, so be sure to check that one out. If you guys want to continue the coffee and music chatting, be sure to join the official My Caffeine Withdrawal Facebook group. And if you guys are enjoying this podcast and want to know how to support it, one way you can support it is by buying an 8x10 signed by me. There's a link for that special edition 8x10 also linked below in the show notes. Now, we've only got one more episode for this season and then My Caffeine Withdrawal will be taking a little bit of a break. So be sure to get all caught up and be ready to tune in next week. And until then, thanks for helping me to cure My Caffeine Withdrawal.